When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America. Subject matter jurisdiction, also called jurisdiction ration materiae, is the authority of a court to hear cases of a particular type of cases relating to a specific subject matter. For instance, bankruptcy court only has the authority to hear bankruptcy cases. Subject matter jurisdiction must be distinguished from personal jurisdiction, which is the power of a court to render a judgment against a particular defendant, and territorial jurisdiction which is the power of the court to render a judgment concerning events that have occurred within a well-defined territory. Unlike personal or territorial jurisdiction, lack of subject matter jurisdiction cannot be waived. A judgment from a court that did not have subject matter jurisdiction is forever a nullity. To decide a case, a court must have a combination of subject, subjectum, and either personal, personam, or territorial, locum, jurisdiction. Subject matter jurisdiction, personal or territorial jurisdiction and adequate notice are the three most fundamental constitutional requirements for a valid judgment. United States. State courts. Many state court systems are divided into divisions such as criminal, civil law, family, and probate. A court within any one of those divisions would lack subject matter jurisdiction to hear a case regarding matters assigned to another division. Most U.S. state court systems, however, include a superior court that has general jurisdiction, that is, it is competent to hear any case over which no other state court has exclusive jurisdiction. Because the United States federal courts have exclusive jurisdiction over a very small percentage of cases, such as copyright disputes, patent disputes, and United States bankruptcy court disputes, state courts have the authority to hear the vast majority of cases. U.S. Federal Courts Subject matter jurisdiction is significantly more limited in United States federal courts. The maximal constitutional bounds of federal court subject matter jurisdiction are defined by Article 3 Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution. Federal court's actual subject matter jurisdiction derives from congressional enabling statutes, such as 28 U.S.C. Sections 1330-1369 and 28 U.S.C. Sections 1441-1452. The United States Congress has not extended federal court subject matter jurisdiction to its constitutional limits. For example, The amount in controversy requirement for diversity jurisdiction is based on 28 U.S.C. Section 1332, not a constitutional restriction. Moreover, Congress could constitutionally overrule the complete diversity rule in diversity cases. By far the most important two categories of federal subject matter jurisdiction in non-criminal cases are federal question jurisdiction and diversity jurisdiction. The Enabling Statute for Federal Question Jurisdiction, 28 U.S.C. Section 1331, provides that the district courts have original jurisdiction in all civil actions arising under the Constitution, laws, or treaties of the United States. As mentioned before, this jurisdiction is ordinarily not exclusive. States too can hear claims based on federal law. The Enabling Statute for Diversity Jurisdiction, 28 U.S.C. Section 1332, grants the district court's jurisdiction in an action that meets two basic conditions. Complete Diversity Requirement No defendant is a citizen of the same state as any plaintiff. Amount in controversy requirement. The matter in controversy exceeds $75,000. Federal courts also have removal jurisdiction, which is the authority to try cases removed by defendants from state courts. 
the contours of removal jurisdiction are almost identical to those of original jurisdiction. According to Rule 12b1 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, a federal court has the authority to dismiss a case for lack of subject matter jurisdiction upon motion of a party or sua sponte, upon its own initiative. In federal criminal cases, offenses against the laws of the United States, the federal district courts of the United States have subject matter jurisdiction granted under 18 U.S.C. Section 3231. In United States law, federal question jurisdiction is a type of subject matter jurisdiction that gives United States federal courts the power to hear civil cases where the plaintiff alleges a violation of the United States Constitution, federal law, or a treaty to which the United States is a party. The federal question jurisdiction statute is codified at 28 U.S.C. Section 1331. The district court shall have original jurisdiction of all civil actions arising under the Constitution, laws, or treaties of the United States. 28 U.S.C. Section 1331. Overview. Article 3 of the United States Constitution permits federal courts to hear such cases, so long as the United States Congress passes a statute to that effect. However, when Congress passed the Judiciary Act of 1789, which authorized the newly created federal courts to hear such cases, it initially chose not to allow the lower federal courts to possess federal question jurisdiction for fear that it would make the courts too powerful. The Federalists briefly created such jurisdiction in the Judiciary Act of 1801, but it was repealed the following year, and not restored until 1875. Unlike diversity jurisdiction, which is based on the parties coming from different states, federal question jurisdiction no longer has any amount in controversy requirement. Congress eliminated this requirement in actions against the United States in 1976, and in all federal question cases in 1980. Therefore, a federal court can hear a federal question case even if no money is sought by the plaintiff. To meet the requirement of a case arising under federal law, the federal question must appear on the face of the plaintiff's complaint. There has been considerable dispute over what constitutes a federal question in these circumstances, but it is now settled law that the plaintiff cannot seek the jurisdiction of a federal court merely because it anticipates that the defendant is going to raise a defense based on the Constitution, or on a federal statute. This well-pleaded complaint rule has been criticized by legal scholars, but Congress has so far chosen not to change the law, although the Supreme Court has made clear it is free to do so. Related Cases Eight years after Louisville and Nashville Railroad Company v. Motley, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes established the Holmes Test in American Well Works Company v. Lane and Bowler Company the opinion delivered for the court included the phrase, a suit arises under the law that creates the cause of action. For almost a hundred years this test was the foundation for federal question qualification under Section 1331 until the Supreme Court modified it in MIMS v. Aero Financial Services, 2012, to determine whether federal law creates a private right of action and furnishes the substantive rules of decision. In the law of the United States, diversity jurisdiction is a form of subject matter jurisdiction that gives U.S. federal courts the power to hear lawsuits that do not involve a federal question. For a U.S. federal court to have diversity jurisdiction over a lawsuit, two conditions must be met. First, there must be diversity of citizenship between the parties, meaning the plaintiffs must be citizens of different U.S. states than the defendants. Second, the lawsuit's amount in controversy must be more than $75,000. If a lawsuit does not meet these two conditions, U.S. federal courts will normally lack the power to hear it unless it involves a federal question, and the lawsuit would need to be heard in state court instead. The United States Constitution, in Article 3, Section 2, grants Congress the power to permit federal courts to hear diversity cases through legislation authorizing such jurisdiction. 
The provision was included because the framers of the Constitution were concerned that when a case is filed in one state, and it involves parties from that state and another state, the state court might be biased toward the party from that state. Congress first exercised that power and granted federal trial circuit courts diversity jurisdiction in the Judiciary Act of 1789. Diversity jurisdiction is currently codified at 28 U.S.C. Section 1332. In 1969, the American Law Institute explained in a 587-page analysis of the subject that diversity is the most controversial type of federal jurisdiction, because it lays bare fundamental issues regarding the nature and operation of our federal union. Statute. A. The district court shall have original jurisdiction of all civil actions where the matter in controversy exceeds the sum or value of $75,000, exclusive of interest and costs, and is between 1. Citizens of different states. 2. Citizens of a state and citizens or subjects of a foreign state, except that the district court shall not have original jurisdiction under this subsection of an action between citizens of a state and citizens or subjects of a foreign state who are lawfully admitted for permanent residence in the United States and are domiciled in the same state. 3. Citizens of different states and in which citizens or subjects of a foreign state are additional parties, and 4. A foreign state, defined in section 1603A of this title as plaintiff and citizens of a state or of different states. 28 U.S.C. Section 1332. Diversity of Parties. Mostly, in order for diversity jurisdiction to apply, complete diversity is required, where none of the plaintiffs can be from the same state as any of the defendants. A corporation is treated as a citizen of the state in which it is incorporated and the state in which its principal place of business is located. A partnership or limited liability company is considered to have the citizenship of all of its constituent partners or members. Thus, an LLC or partnership with one member or partner sharing citizenship with an opposing party will destroy diversity of jurisdiction. Cities and towns, incorporated municipalities, are also treated as citizens of the states in which they are located, but states themselves are not considered citizens for the purpose of diversity. U.S. citizens are citizens of the state in which they are domiciled, which is the last state in which they resided and had an intent to remain. A national bank chartered under the National Bank Act is treated as a citizen of the state in which it is located. In 2006, the Supreme Court rejected an approach that would have interpreted the term located to mean that a national bank is a citizen of every state in which it maintains a branch. The Supreme Court concluded that a national bank is a citizen of the state in which its main office, as set forth in its Articles of Association, is located. The Supreme Court, however, left open the possibility that a national bank may also be a citizen of the state in which it has its principal place of business, thus putting it on an equal footing with a state-formed corporation. This remains an open question, with some lower courts holding that a national bank is a citizen of only the state in which its main office is located, and others holding that a national bank is also a citizen of the state in which it has its principal place of business. The diversity jurisdiction statute also allows federal courts to hear cases in which Citizens of a U.S. state are parties on one side of the case, with non-resident aliens as adverse parties. Complete diversity exists as to the U.S. parties, and non-resident aliens are additional parties. A foreign state, for example, country, is the plaintiff, and the defendants are citizens of one or more U.S. states, or under the Class Action Fairness Act of 2005, a class action can usually be brought in a federal court when there is just minimal diversity such that any plaintiff is a citizen of a different state from any defendant. Class actions that do not meet the requirement of the Class Action Fairness Act must have complete diversity between class representatives, those named in the lawsuit, and the defendants. A U.S. citizen who is domiciled outside the U.S. is not considered to be a citizen of any U.S. state, and cannot be considered an alien. 
the presence of such a person as a party completely destroys diversity jurisdiction, except for a class action or mass action in which minimal diversity exists with respect to other parties in the case. If the case requires the presence of a party who is from the same state as an opposing party, or a party who is a U.S. citizen domiciled outside the country, the case must be dismissed, the absent party being deemed indispensable. The determination of whether a party is indispensable is made by the court following the guidelines set forth in Rule 19 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. Diversity is determined at the time that the action is filed. Diversity is determined at the time that federal court jurisdiction is invoked, at time of filing, if directly filed in U.S. District Court, or at time of removal, if removed from state court, and on the basis of the state citizenships of the parties at that time. A change in domicile by a natural person before or after that date is irrelevant. However, in Caterpillar, Incorporated v. Lewis, 1996, the Supreme Court also held that federal jurisdiction predicated on diversity of citizenship can be sustained even if there did not exist complete diversity at the time of removal to federal court, so long as complete diversity exists at the time the district court enters judgment. The court in Caterpillar sustained diversity as an issue of fairness and economy, given a lower court's original mistake that allowed removal. Corporate citizenship based on the principal place of business. Congress never defined exactly what is a principal place of business. The question of what that phrase meant became hotly disputed during the late 20th century as many areas of the American economy came under the control of large national corporations. Although these corporations usually had a headquarters in one state, the majority of their employees, assets, and revenue were often physically located at retail sites in the states with the largest populations, and hence a circuit split developed in which some judges held that the latter states could also be treated as the corporation's principal place of business. The rationale was that those states were where the business was actually occurring or being transacted. This issue was finally resolved by a unanimous Supreme Court in Hertz Corporation v. Friend, 2010, which held that a corporation's principal place of business is presumed to be the place of the corporation's nerve center from where its officers conduct the corporation's important business. Amount in controversy. The United States Congress has placed an additional barrier to diversity jurisdiction, the amount in controversy requirement. This is a minimum amount of money which the parties must be contesting is owed to them. Since the enactment of the Federal Courts Improvement Act of 1996, 28 U.S.C. Section 1332A has provided that a claim for relief must exceed the sum or value of $75,000, exclusive of interest and costs and without considering counterclaims. In other words, the amount in controversy must be equal to or more than $75,000.01, and, in a case which has been removed from a state court to the federal court, a federal court must remand a case back to state court if the amount in controversy is exactly $75,000. A single plaintiff may add different claims against the same defendant to meet the amount. Two plaintiffs, however, may not join their claims together to meet the amount, but if one plaintiff meets the amount standing alone, the second plaintiff can piggyback as long as the second plaintiff's claim arises out of the same facts as the main claim. More detailed information may be obtained from the article on federal supplemental jurisdiction. The amount specified has been regularly increased over the past two centuries. Courts will use the legal certainty test to decide whether the dispute is over $75,000. Under this test, the court will accept the pled amount unless it is legally certain that the pleading party cannot recover more than $75,000. For example, if the dispute is solely over the breach of a contract by which the defendant had agreed to pay the plaintiff $10,000, a federal court will dismiss the case for lack of subject matter jurisdiction or remand the case to state court if it arrived via removal. In personal injury cases, plaintiffs will sometimes claim amounts not to exceed $75,000 in their complaint to avoid removal of the case to federal court. 
if the amount is left unspecified in the ad damnum, as is required by the pleading rules of many states, the defendant may sometimes be able to remove the case to federal court unless the plaintiff's lawyer files a document expressly disclaiming damages in excess of the jurisdictional requirement. Because juries decide what personal injuries are worth, compensation for injuries may exceed $75,000 such that the legal certainty test will not bar federal court jurisdiction. Many plaintiffs' lawyers seek to avoid federal courts because of the perception that they are more hostile to plaintiffs than most state courts. Domestic relations and probate exceptions. A long-standing judge-made rule holds that federal courts have no jurisdiction over divorce or other domestic relations cases, even if there is diversity of citizenship between the parties and the amount of money and controversy meets the jurisdictional limit. As the Supreme Court has stated, the whole subject of the domestic relations of husband and wife, parent and child, belongs to the laws of the states, and not to the laws of the United States. The court concluded that the domestic relations exception, divests the federal courts of power to issue divorce, alimony, and child custody decrees. In explaining this exception, the High Court noted that domestic cases frequently required the issuing court to retain jurisdiction over recurring disputes in interpreting and enforcing those decrees. State courts have developed expertise in dealing with these matters, and the interest of judicial economy required keeping that litigation in the courts most experienced to handle it. However, federal courts are not limited in their ability to hear tort cases arising out of domestic situations by the doctrine. A similar exception has been recognized for probate and decedents estate litigation, which continues to hold for the primary cases. Diversity jurisdiction does not exist to probate wills or administer decedents estates directly. Diversity jurisdiction is allowed for some litigation that arises under trusts and other estate planning documents, however. Removal and remand. If a case is originally filed in a state court, and the requirements for federal jurisdiction are met, diversity and amount in controversy, the case involves a federal question, or a supplemental jurisdiction exists, the defendant, and only the defendant, may remove the case to a federal court. A case cannot be removed to a state court. To remove to a federal court, the defendant must file a notice of removal with both the state court where the case was filed and the federal court to which it will be transferred. The notice of removal must be filed within 30 days of the first removable document. For example, if there is no diversity of citizenship initially, but the non-diverse defendant is subsequently dismissed, the remaining diverse defendants may remove to a federal court. However, no removal is available after one year of the filing of the complaint. A party's citizenship at the time of the filing of the action is considered the citizenship of the party. If a defendant later moves to the same state as the plaintiff while the action is pending, the federal court will still have jurisdiction. However, if any defendant is a citizen of the state where the action is first filed, diversity does not exist. 28 U.S.C. Section 1441b. If a plaintiff or a co-defendant opposes removal, he may request a remand, asking the federal court to send the case back to the state court. A remand is rarely granted if the diversity and amount in controversy requirements are met. A remand may be granted, however, if a non-diverse party joins the action, or if the parties settle some claims among them, leaving the amount in controversy below the requisite amount. Law applied. The United States Supreme Court determined in Erie Railroad Company v. Tompkins, 1938, that the law to be applied in a diversity case would be the law of whatever state in which the action was filed. This decision overturned precedents that it held that federal courts could create a general federal common law, instead of applying the law of the forum state. This decision was an interpretation of the word laws in 28 U.S.C. 1652, known as the Rules of Decision Act, to mean not just statutes enacted by the legislature but also the common law created by state courts. Under the Rules of Decision Act, 
the laws of the several states, except where the Constitution or treaties of the United States or acts of Congress otherwise require or provide, shall be regarded as rules of decision in civil actions in the courts of the United States, in cases where they apply. The court interpreted laws to include the state's judicial decisions, or common law. Thus, it is an overstatement to state that Erie represents the notion that there is no federal common law. Federal courts do adjudicate common law of federal statutes and regulations. Because the RDA provides for exceptions and modifications by Congress, it is important to note the effect of the Rules Enabling Act, REA, 28 U.S.C. 2072. The RIA delegates the legislative authority to the Supreme Court to ratify rules of practice and procedure and rules of evidence for federal courts. Thus, it is not Erie but the RIA which created the distinction between substantive and procedural law. Thus, while state substantive law is applied, the federal rules of civil procedure and the federal rules of evidence still govern the procedural matters in a diversity action, as clarified in Gasparini v. Center for Humanities, 1996. The RIA, 28 U.S.C. 2072b, provides that the rules will not affect the substantive rights of the parties. Therefore, a federal court may still apply the procedural rules of the state of the initial filing, if the federal law would abridge, enlarge, or modify a substantive right provided for under the law of the state. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America